we're starting to see that technology is going to help augment a lot of that decision-making process anyway. So if that's all that you do as a leader, then what value do you have to the company? Probably not much. On the other hand, you focus on the human aspects of leadership, then I really believe that your value to the organization increases tenfold. Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast from Uniform, the podcast that dives into real conversations that are happening in contact centers around the world. Here you'll experience exciting interviews with well-known thought leaders, hear compelling stories from industry experts, gain fresh insights on contact center best practices and more. So grab a beverage and tune in as we get real with conversations that matter. Hey everyone, Randy Kassar here, host of Conversations That Matter, a podcast for contact center professionals from Unifor. I started thinking today about what makes a good leader and what makes a bad leader. And leadership is defined in so many different ways, and, and I think we all can agree that we've had good leaders and, and bad leaders in our career. But there's some that really stand out. And who are the ones in your life that really made a difference, that really understood you and your role and your position, that supported you? In today's conversation, That Matter, we talk with Jacob Morgan, futurist and author of 4X best-selling books, including his most recent book, The Future Leader, in which he talks to over 140 CEOs on what leadership really means and how it can be applied towards any business, as well as surveying almost 14,000 LinkedIn members on leadership in their career. So in this recording, you'll hear from Annie Wekeser, the CMO and Chief People Officer at Unifor, and myself, Jacob Morgan. Enjoy the podcast, and as always, to join in this live conversation, we host them on a quite frequent basis on our LinkedIn company page. So just search for Unifor on LinkedIn, and we'll see you there. Annie, take it away from here, and let's hear who we have on the show today. Yeah, thank you, Randy. So we've ushered in the new year, and I'm sure everyone here has made new resolutions, and the future of leadership is a really timely topic. I am super excited to announce today's guest and introduce him. Jacob Morgan is someone I've known and followed since probably 2014 when I was at Cisco and was a frequent listener to his Future of Work podcast. He's a best-selling author, a keynote speaker, and a futurist who looks at the topics of leadership, the future of work, and employee experience. And one question we always ask to get to know our guests a bit more is what their first job was out of college. So as I was reading about Jacob, I found out that his first job, he was told that he would be traveling the country and meeting with executives and entrepreneurs and doing all sorts of exciting work. When a few months in, he was stuck doing data entry, cold calling, and PowerPoint. And one day, the CEO came out of his nice corner office and handed him a $10 bill and said, I'm late for a meeting. Can you go grab me a cup of coffee? And, and get something for yourself as well, by the way. And that was the last corporate job he ever had. So you can see he's a person who is not afraid to shake things up, a best-selling author who helps a lot of organizations and individuals do more and be more. His most recent book is The Future Leader, and that's what we're going to chat about today. So welcome, Jacob. We are so happy to have you. Thank you for having you. We go way back. Yeah. So Jacob, to get us started, we're going to start off with some rapid fire just to kind of get to know you kind of more on the on the human side. And that uh, will help kind of loosen up everything with uh, not just ourselves, but uh, but also those that are listening in. So we can get some really good candid conversations. And we have some great people are tuning in. So uh, thank you, everyone. Neil tuning in there. Great CX and contact center from CallZilla. Uh, we have also Kurt that's tuning in. So appreciate you guys tuning in today. 
So as we uh, start this rapid fire, and again, these are just kind of quick, whatever's on top of your mind. And, you know, lighthearted humor is always encouraged. So first one, uh, you know, you've interviewed a, a lot of folks over the years throughout your different books, especially the, the most recent one, The Future Leader. Who's the CEO that you'd like to meet but haven't yet? Well, I haven't met most of the CEOs I interviewed, actually. A lot of the CEOs I interviewed for the book, for example, all of it was done virtually. <laughs> okay. But a couple popped to mind. Hubert Jolie from Best Buy. Yeah. Um, we have met several times virtually, but never in person. So I think he'd be a lot of fun to meet. Gary Ridge, the CEO of WD40, I think would be fun because he's from Australia. I'm Australian, although I don't have the accent. So those those are two that come to mind. Gary seems like he'd be a pretty fun person. John Ledger, the CEO of T-Mobile, I think would be fun. I mean, there's so many of them, right? I mean, it's it's so hard to pick. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, those are some great examples and uh, hopefully you'll get to meet them. So one of the things that we uh, talked about on the Unifor blog was around customer service agents and how they're kind of the unsung hero for the contact center last year. And I'm kind of curious from your perspective, what is the most positive customer experience that you've had with customer service, contact center, call center uh, in 2020 with a particular brand, uh, maybe a product that you had? I'd be curious to know your your perspective on that. Oh man, it's it's probably usually Amazon just because whenever I have an issue with it, they solve it right away. So Sometimes, for example, I'd say one of the most common ones is they deliver a package. Yeah. Uh, either they put it at the wrong house. Maybe somebody steals the package. Maybe the package wasn't actually delivered. You call Amazon, no questions asked. They just say, sorry about that. We'll either refund you or replace the package. Which one would you prefer? And it's very simple. It's easy. They take care of it. They understand that these things happen and uh, no problems, no questions asked. So honestly, it's got to be Amazon. Um, but in general, I don't have a ton of customer service calls, but from the ones that I do, I would say Amazon. Okay, cool. All right. So say you're, this is a hypothetical, say you're calling the customer service center and you're you're super excited that you're going to talk to a particular celebrity that's going to help you kind of calm you down, solve your issue. And this, again, this is hypothetical. So if there was a celebrity on the other end of that line, which celebrity would that be that could kind of solve your issue and make sure that your day is super positive? (laughs) Well, so my celebrities are are different than normal celebrities because I like a lot of chess. Uh-huh. So, you know, I, I play chess and I take lessons with a grandmaster. So for me, the celebrities would be uh, top chess players. So two of them come to mind. One would be the world champion, Magnus Carlsen. And another one would probably be Hikaru Nakamura, who uh, is the five-time U.S. chess champion. And like, uh, he's a huge streamer now and becoming a little bit of a celebrity in his own right on platforms like Twitch and social media. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, I've played chess before, but definitely, I'm sure not at your level. And But I think as we talked earlier, we talked about Queen Gambit and how that's a great show on Netflix. Yep. So very cool. Well, thanks for answering those rapid fire questions. Hopefully not too hard there. But now let's get on with the show in terms of learning more about the future leader and all the work that you did on researching. So uh, Annie, uh, take it away uh, from here. Yeah. So we'd love to dive in and just focus on the crux of the book. I was so impressed by just the sheer amount of research that you did, Jacob, for this book. I think it was something like 140 CEO interviews. Um, Would love to know how you went about researching the book and the topic of the future of leadership. Oh man, it was painful and and painstaking to to say the least. Uh, So as you can imagine, talking to 140 CEOs also means that you talk to 140 legal teams, 140 executive assistants. Communications uh, teams, marketing teams. Exactly. I mean, you you know, right? So it's it's kind of like, it says 140 people, but it's probably three, four, five times that amount. So probably 
thousand people in person, email, virtually. Uh, and then I was also fortunate enough to team up with LinkedIn and we surveyed 14,000 employees around the world together. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the research that went into the book, right? It was um, interviewing these 140 plus CEOs and it was surveying these 14,000 employees. And then the challenge from there is how do you put it all together into a story, into something yeah, that right. makes sense? And so I really wanted the perspectives of the CEO's voices to come across. So I included a lot of quotes directly from them so that readers can hear directly from the CEOs instead of, uh, you know, just my opinion on stuff. Yeah, that was probably my favorite part of the book. I was, I was overwhelmed by that. So you did a really nice job. Thank you. So when we talk about kind of being a part of the book, uh, it was around kind of defining leadership and, and what some of the CEOs define it as. And of course, there's so many different ways of taking a look at it, you know, whether you're CEO, whether you're someone at a different level. And I wanted to bring up a couple of quotes that I thought were really interesting to me. Uh, and, and the first one that I really liked was... Vijay Shankar says, uh, chess is a great game. Magnus Carlsen is great, but he says Kasparov is still the greatest. Oh, that's a good debate. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I like Thoughts it. We're hearing like chess talk. This is good. <laughs> yeah, Vijay, uh, he works with us. He's the VP of product marketing. But yeah, no, he's, he's a good guy. But yeah, let's. Uh, if you guys want to debate about that, comment below. Let's uh, let's hear the chess talk going on. So one of the things was uh, quotes I, I love. You know, I have a few of them here. One is from Mark Hurd, former CEO of Oracle. The most basic definition of leadership is you set the destination, you come up with a strategy to get that destination, and you do your best to align and supply the resources to make that happen. So I'm curious from your perspective that what your thoughts are around what he said there. Yeah, you know, it was uh, interesting. Unfortunately, Mark passed away not too long after I had the opportunity to interview him. And he, and he was one of the CEOs that I actually had the opportunity to speak um, in with person? in meet in person. Yeah, so oh, cool. it, was, it was really it was really great to have that relationship. Uh, and Mark was a, a you know he was a great person to spot, speak with. I learned a lot from him. And it's interesting because from the CEOs that I interviewed, there was kind of a, a little bit of a different types of perspectives on this. So Mark was very much about strategy and about the business side of work and leadership. Mm -hmm. And I found that there were some CEOs who took that approach. Other CEOs I interviewed when I would talk to them about leadership, they didn't mention anything about business goals or objectives or dollars and cents. They talked about things like being a good human being, about guiding and inspiring and motivating others. So it's kind of hard to say who's right and who's wrong because Mark was obviously running a very successful organization. And so were a lot of the other CEOs I interviewed who didn't mention anything about dollars and cents or mm -hmm. business goals. So really what it taught me is that leadership is very subjective. Leadership is very, very different. And the way that you define leadership as a CEO is going to dictate the type of culture that you create inside of your company. Right. And this was the hardest question for a lot of the CEOs to answer is to define and explain what is leadership. And I think that this is the biggest thing that we need to spend more time doing inside of our companies is asking ourselves, what does it mean to be a leader in this company? What does leadership mean? How do we define leadership? And who are leaders that we look up to and emulate and want to respect and, you know, and be like? Right. Because that's yeah. kind of what sets the leadership filters inside of your company. And if you don't have those filters in place, then you're going to find that you promote people, you know, and oftentimes there's not going to be alignment. So a good example, many times I would go into an organization and inside of a single company, I would find a lot of leaders who everybody loves and admires and respects. And in the same company, you find leaders who everybody wants to run away from. They don't like them. They hate them. They don't want to work with them. Why is that? Exactly. So why, why is that? And it's because the people who promoted them have different definitions of leadership. 
So you need to have some sort of consistency. So, you know, if you have CEOs and top executives who are defining leadership in a certain way, then that needs to be communicated across the organization so that when people get promoted, those people match those definitions. They match those kind of filters in the company. And so, you know, I think Mark had one of many interesting definitions, but it clearly worked for him and it clearly worked for Oracle. Yeah, no, it did. And we'll get into this later, but I mean, skills for training people to be the leader that you want at your company. That's, that's a whole other conversation, but that's yep. something that you talked about in your book as well. Let's go on to the next one. Love this one from Bill Thomas, KPMG. Staying connected to the world outside your business to understand the forces shaping not only the market you operate in, but the society you serve. And I think that's, for me, that's, it's all about your community around you, especially as a business and where you work, whether it's the, the partners, the prospects, the, even the people, your neighbors in terms of your business office. Um, tell us a little bit more about, about this one. Yeah, I mean, as you can see, this one is already a slightly different definition than the one that Mark provided, where this one talks more about society and the communities that you serve. So again, Bill definitely has a definition that works because KPMG, very successful company. They've been successful for, for quite a number of years now. And so that's the type of culture that Bill created at KPMG, one that really focuses on, on society, on community, on giving back. And on creating a connection and relationship between what the business does versus how the business is able to serve those around them. So again, it's you know it, it's a great definition of leadership, and the fact that you have those two side by side shows how different these definitions can be. And again, I had 140 of these from different CEOs. Yeah, that's true. All right, uh, so just a quick break before we get into the trends uh, that are shaping leadership. So if you guys have any questions or comments for Jacob or uh, any of us on the show, please comment below. Uh, I appreciate all you guys tuning in. And we'll also now just get started with some of the trends that we read in the book around uh, that are shaping leadership. Uh, And one of them that I love is, of course, near and dear to our heart. When we talk about AI, it's a buzzword for a lot of people, but uh, in terms of how it impacts leadership, you know, how do people leverage the technology? Uh, And this quote here from, from David over a CEO of IPSEN was a good one uh, that I liked. People keep saying, oh, technology, technology. Well, I've never had lunch with technology or built a relationship with technology. Have you? I've had lunch and built relationships with people. I'll take an emotionally intelligent person over a piece of software anytime. <laughs> so I think one of the things that you talked about in your book was around the blend of, of human and technology and how those can yeah. kind of coexist. Tell us a little bit about that. I love this quote from David, and he's no longer the CEO. So he's now the the former CEO of Ibsen. It's a pharma company. I think they had around 5,000 employees. And one of the things that I love, and David wasn't the only CEO who echoed this, quite a few CEOs echoed this, because as you can imagine, there's a lot of fear and discussion around AI and technology. But from a lot of the CEOs I interviewed, the general perception was that technology is not going to be used as a way to replace humans, but as a way to augment them. And they all acknowledged and thought that there was tremendous opportunity and positivity that's going to come as a result of technology and AI to make the organization more human, to focus more on creativity, on relationships, on uh, problem solving, on strategy. But for me, the greatest impact that I think AI and technology is going to have on leadership is to make it blatantly clear who the good leaders are and who the bad leaders are. A bad leader is someone who typically just focuses, well, even before I get into that, let me first start off by saying there are two, the two broad things that any leader in an organization does is one, they make decisions. And the second thing that a leader does is they get people to move in the direction of that decision. If you're a bad leader, all you do is you make the decision. 
and you tell everybody what to do, command and control mentality. I say jump, you say how high. That's kind of the approach that a lot of bad leaders take. Good leaders, on the other hand, not only do they help make the decisions, but they also motivate, engage, empower, and inspire people to move in the direction of that decision. So if you're a bad leader who purely just focuses on command and control and making decisions, we're starting to see that technology is going to help augment a lot of that decision-making process anyway. So if that's all that you do as a leader, then what value do you have to the company? Probably not much. But if, on the other hand, you focus on the human aspects of leadership, then I really believe that your value to the organization increases tenfold. So that, I think, is going to be the greatest impact that we're going to see of technology, of things like AI when it comes to leadership, is focusing on who are the good leaders and who are the leaders who we should not be having inside of our company. That is a very good point. A couple of comments that are coming in. We have Kurt here. Agree, the QPMG quote, ending with serve, telling, and Jeff Frick. Oh, hey, Jeff. Menlo Creek Media. I just, uh, oh, man, where did I see Jeff's name pop up? Either in a, it was probably a, one of the posts on uh, on my LinkedIn page or maybe an email from Jeff. But yeah, I, I know Jeff. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? Cool. I think the technology is there. It's a, it's a matter of how you leverage that technology and how you educate people on how to use it, right? Yeah, and it's, it's super interesting because this past year, especially with the number of transactional interactions since people have been remote, the importance of emotional connection, human-to-human connection, and emotional intelligence has just grown exponentially. And also really the, the, the focus on culture and values and the importance of having a clear purpose and meaning to what you're doing. That, that for me, has never been more clear, especially as a people leader. I would love, Jacob, for you to talk more about purpose and meaning. And are they the same thing for this audience? How does it affect, how do purpose and meaning affect employee happiness and engagement? And, and how important is it? Sure. Uh, and, I'm, you know, it's, it's interesting, and I'm sure you've seen this uh, as well, that a lot of the times people use purpose and meaning in the same sentence, but purpose and meaning are actually very, very different things. And I think we as individuals and as organizations need to be able to distinguish and separate between uh, purpose and meaning. And in the book, I have, um, there's a little chart, actually, I have that. Let me see if people can see this. People can can see that there. There we go. So it says job, purpose, meaning, and impact. And I'll quickly walk through what those, what those are. There we go. Now everybody can see it. Job, purpose, impact, and meaning. And so in the context of this, the job is basically your, your job description. It's what you do. Why, why did you get hired? So for example, for the customer service agent, this might be your job is to answer the phone, to respond to emails, to talk to customers, right? That's your job. That's basically what you're doing. Purpose is the intention. So what, what is the intention of doing that? Well, my purpose is to solve customer problems, is to make their lives easier, it's to get them to want to come back and interact with, uh, with the brand, with the company. That's my purpose. That's why I got hired. The impact. The impact is what is the impact that you're actually having? So my purpose is to make the lives of customers easier. But is that the impact that I'm actually having? Maybe when customers get off the phone with me, they're even more frustrated. Maybe I didn't solve their problem. Maybe they're really angry. So in that situation, you have an example of where the impact does not align with the purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, ideally, impact will be greater than or equal to your purpose. Meaning, if my purpose is to help make the lives of customer easier uh, and better, can I go above and beyond? 
maybe, you know, maybe I'm doing such a great job answering the phone and talking to customers that they are spending more money. They're so delighted. Like I'm, I'm really having them, uh, you know, they get a better day after talking to me. So I go, I go above and beyond what my purpose even is. And then we have meaning. Meaning is subjective. It's why do you personally do it? So why are you in customer service? Well, the meaning that I get is I like meeting new people. I like building relationships. I like helping others. Like that's what I personally get out of it. So the four things are again, job, and then you have your purpose, you have your impact, and you have your meaning. Now, for most of us, we know what our job is. We know why we got hired. I'm in sales, I'm in HR, like I know what that means. For some of us, I think we have a good sense of what our what our purpose is. You know, most people understand their purpose inside the company. Like, what are you in sales for? Well, I'm in sales to close deals, to make more money. I'm in customer service to help make customers' lives easier and better. I'm in product marketing to create great products and service. Like, you usually have a good sense of your purpose. Where a lot of people struggle, and the more senior you become, I think the more insight you have into these things. But where a lot of people struggle with is the impact and the meaning. So the more senior you are, if you're senior inside of a company, you have a pretty good sense of the impact that you have because you have more insight into how work gets done, into the response from customers, into the response from employees. Because you're senior, you have access to that. As a more entry or junior level employee, you really struggle with understanding what your impact is in the company because you don't talk to customers. You don't get stories. You don't interact with a lot of the employees. Like you, you just don't have that insight. So that's kind of crucial. And meaning is, again, this subjective aspect. And organizations like Unilever, for example, uh, they even host workshops around purpose and meaning to try to get those things aligned. In other words, what you probably get out of doing the work, does that align with the company's values? Does that align with why you were hired? Does it align with the job that you're doing? So ideally, you want to have alignment and clarity on all four of these things as an employee inside of a company, your job, your, uh, your purpose, your impact, and your meaning. That's great. There was a, there was a follow-up um, quote that I read that talked about purpose and meaning. And the idea was, I believe it said, purpose and meaning should not be a privilege at work. It should be a right for any employee at any level. So maybe a follow-up question for you as it relates to that. What do, what do organizations and individual employees need to do to enable that, right? Because if I'm a lower level employee, I may not have the access, as you said, to, to those forums. T- talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So the first thing is who's responsible ultimately for your purpose and meaning inside the company? If you're an employee and you just show up to work and you say, I got no purpose and meaning, my company is not doing anything for me, I'm just kind of floating around guess what? I don't feel sorry for you, right? It's not purely the company's job to solve all of your problems and to give you purpose and meaning in life. You as an individual need to have some sense of accountability over that yourself. So if you're an entry-level employee, you need to speak up and get a sense of like, um, you know, talk to your team members and find out um, how was the work that you're doing uh, having an impact on the organization? Talk, you know, ask to talk to customers, ask to be part of conversations, ask to talk to your employees, get a, become a part of a mentorship program. Like you need to play a more active role to be able to create and develop these things for yourself. But nobody's just going to come over to you one day and say, hey, Jacob, um, we noticed you don't have any purpose and meaning. Here's somebody that you can talk to. 
Like that's not how it works. All right. So on the one hand, you as an individual need to be accountable. But on the other hand, the organization needs to make it very clear that those opportunities exist. The organization needs to talk about purpose and meaning and why these things are important. Uh, the organization can host workshops. They can facilitate conversations, create these mentorship programs, let people know um, that they care, that the organization cares about employees having these things and being able to know what these things are. So it's kind of a two-way street. Um, the organization can't give these things to you. You need to seek them out. But the organization can give you the opportunity, the insight, the storytelling, you know, tell stories. Like if I'm in HR or if I'm in customer service, why can't the organization tell stories about how how is the work that I'm doing impacting the customer? And I can give you a, a fantastic story. One of my very, very early jobs when I was, I don't know, 16, 17 years old was working at a movie theater. And I worked at AMC movie theaters way back in the day. And the company used to run a contest. And each week, the person who could upsell the most amount of customers would get a gift certificate for like 50 or 100 bucks. And so you would come to the concession stand and you would say, I want a medium popcorn and a medium drink. And my response, which I still remember to this day is, for a dollar more, you can upgrade both of those to a large. And at the end of the week, whoever got those most, the, the most number of those upgrades wins. So I won a couple of these contests uh, over the years. I think I was there for, I don't know, one, two years. And that's it. But I had no insight. Like, why am I doing this? Where's the money going? Is, 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 is the movie theater in trouble? Like, is this being used for employee? But like, what, what's going on with this? Why am I doing this? San Diego Zoo had the exact same program where they had employees behind a concession stand. Customers would go purchase things. And the employees there would try to upsell the customers, get them to walk away with like a stuffed animal, something like that. Right. The difference is that the San Diego Zoo, the employees were told, hey, this extra revenue that you're bringing in, this is how it's going to help our conservation efforts. This is how the money is being used to help fight the extinction of a certain animal. So you had that, you understood your impact. Like you knew, exactly, you understood why you were doing this. And so if I know that I'm fighting to end extinction of a certain endangered species, yeah, I'm going to upsell the heck out of everybody because, like, I want to do that. But a movie theater, if it's like, yeah, you get a $50 gift card, you're kind of, like, you know, you, you don't have any passion behind it. You don't have anything invested in it. You don't have any emotional connection to it. So right. you really need to have that. And that's where the storytelling comes into play. And now for a short break, let's learn more about Unifor. Unifor is the global leader in conversational service automation. The company's vision is to disrupt an outdated customer service model by bridging the gap between human and machine using voice, AI, and automation so that every voice on every call is truly heard. For more information about Unifor, go to www.unifor.com, email podcast at unifor.com, or tweet at Unifor. And now, back to the podcast. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, and I think especially now I, I see organizations and a lot of pressure sometimes from employees and from customers and investors for organizations to take a stance on uh, social issues or political issues. Yep. Right. It's kind of expected now. So we as leaders are navigating in terms of how and when we're going to engage playing the chess game, as we talked about earlier. And there was a quote that I really liked from someone who's no longer with us, who's uh, the former chairman and, and CEO of Kaiser Permanente. And he said, the trend of when and how we engage on the bigger societal issues will continue to be a part of the future of leadership. Yeah. 
I'd love to hear you, your thoughts on that. Yeah, Bernard was, I mean, he was really an, an amazing, an amazing leader. And he was, you know, in the Oakland areas where, where Kaiser had, a, um, you know, a lot of their headquarters and offices. And I, I'm in the Bay Area, so not too far away. I mean, the new Kaiser location was going to be probably two, three miles away from where I live. And I, I really, really loved this quote from Bernard and so many others that I, you know, didn't even get a chance to put in the book. But I mean, he brings up a really good point, And you brought up an interesting point as well, where now a lot of leaders are expected to have a stance. And for a long time, leaders wanted to avoid this because they wanted to make everybody happy. And so traditionally, throughout history, you would ask a leader, you know, what's your stance on this? What are you fighting for? What do you believe in? And they'd say, yeah, you know, we're what kind of we want everybody to be happy. So yeah, like, I like these people. I like those people. I believe in this. I believe I believe in everything. Like, you don't want to take a stance on anything because you don't want to offend anybody. And so the big fear that a lot of leaders had is we don't want to take a stance on something because we don't want to offend and make anybody upset. But today, the biggest fear that you as a leader should have is not that you're going to upset somebody or that somebody's going to disagree with you. It's that people don't know what you stand for to begin with. That to me is the biggest fear. Like I'm okay if I talk about something and people disagree with me. Like that's fine. I mean, that's just part of life. What I'm not okay with is if people say, hey, what does Jacob stand for to begin with? Like, what does Jacob even care about? Like, we don't even know. That to me is a problem. That to me is the bigger fear. And this is a very, very crucial mental shift that leaders need to embrace. Don't be scared that people are going to disagree with you. Be scared that people don't know what you stand for to begin with. And Bernard clearly understood this. Um, As you can see in this quote, as you can see in a lot of the actions that he took during his time as being CEO of the company, he understood this loud and clear. And this is still something that a lot of leaders are trying to wrap their minds around. um, But hopefully we'll start to see them do a better job of this in the coming uh, in the coming years. Yeah, you're exactly right. Another topic that I think is was interesting that came up in the book and is probably interesting to this audience is ethics and morality. I'd love to talk about that a little bit and, and understand from you is is being an ethical leader enough? No. Okay. So, so what extent do you combine your your various morals in order to have a, a compass to guide to guide your decisions? Yes. Yeah, so this this ties very much back to what we were talking about, right? Ethics and morals are two different things. Ethics are oftentimes, and again, this is sort of like with purpose and meaning. They're, they they sound similar, but they're different. Ethics are really, you know, it could be described as doing the right thing, following the rules you know, playing by the book, so to speak. And the story that I gave in the book about this was, I'm trying to remember the state that it was, uh, but there was a state last year or the year before where they they basically had a law, and I could scroll through the book and find it, that, that basically said it's okay to not serve customers based on sexual orientation or gender. Like you could discriminate them against them and it's, and it's fine. Uh, you had the right to refuse service. And so you can imagine as an employee of a retail establishment or as the owner of a store, somebody comes into your location and maybe they're, they're gay, transgender. And you could say, we don't want to serve you here. Like you have to leave. And that was okay. Like that was the law that was, you know, accepted. So technically you could be doing that as a business owner and say, Hey, I'm doing the ethical thing. I'm following the rules. It's a law, but is that the right moral thing to do? So a lot of CEOs like Mark Benioff from Salesforce said, hey, you know what? That is not the moral, you know, those are not my morals. I don't believe in that. Yeah. I believe in in, uh, in helping everybody, in, in treating everyone equally, in serving everybody, in creating a community where everybody feels like they belong. And so he stood up 
along with the other CEOs and said, hey, if you have this as a law, not only we're going to stop hosting all of our conferences and events in your state, and for any employee who wants to relocate out of that state, we will pay for their relocation packages to come to another state where they don't have these types of discriminatory policies. And so that's a very good example of how CEOs and leaders need to differentiate and distinguish between ethics and just following the rules versus doing the right thing, having that kind of a moral compass. And as a leader, you need both. Of course, you need to do the right thing. Um, if you don't, you get the situations like we had with, uh, you know, with Enron, where you know madness happens. But at the same time, you need to have that moral compass where you are, uh, you know, you're, you're letting people know what you stand for. You you believe in something that goes beyond just following rules and doing what's good for the business. So there, I think there is a very clear distinction between those two, and I do think that leaders need to do both of those things. You need to be an ethical leader that yeah. does follow the rules, but you also need to have a moral compass. Like just doing the right human thing, not just because it says so in a rule book. Well, and also modeling that behavior. So you're, you're yeah. modeling for your teams, even even behind the scenes or when nobody's watching, which, which gets to another quote from the book, which is from Mark Feldman, which said, I hope there's not a person in this organization who thinks there's anything I would ask them to do or has been affected by anything that I don't ask myself or expect of myself. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that quote. And there was actually not in the book, but I recently interviewed the co-founder of the Home Depot. Okay. And he was telling me stories about this. And one story that he was saying is that this was a time he was working in one of the stores and they had a lot of corrugated material that was being piled up. Yeah, you know, I heard packaging that. and through stuff like that. And so they ordered a compactor. And a compactor is basically, you know, I worked at Whole Foods when I was a teenager, I believe. And we had a big trash compactor in there. You throw a bunch of things in there and the compactor smushes everything. And so one day they get this compactor to try to, you know, smush and lessen the, the, the boxes and piles of just stuff they have everywhere. And so the co-founder of the Home Depot literally spent 24 hours inside of one of their stores compacting everything. And some of the employees who were relatively new there they would go to their managers and be like, there's this crazy guy back there who's been here for 24 hours and he's compacting everything. You know, you guys should promote that guy or give him some sort of a reward or recognition. And the managers of the company would be like, oh yeah, that's uh, that's the co-founder of the Home Depot. So in other words, you know, it's not, and he told me another story of one of his ranches, how um, there was a, a restroom that was clogged up and he heard some guests talking about it. And without even saying anything to the guest or to anybody else, he just went to the restrooms and fixed them himself. And then there was, you know, the next day everybody's saying, did you guys know that the owner of this ranch, the owner of like the, the CEO of this company was like fixing clogged toilets. Yeah. And it's really about this like mentality that you as a leader, it doesn't mean you're better than other people. So if, if you yourself are not willing to do these things, then yeah. you shouldn't be asking other people to do it. And I love that, you know, people like this, not just talk about it, but they actually exemplify it. They, they share it. They lead by example. So I, I love this quote from Mark. Yeah, I heard that on your podcast, the Future of Work podcast. I think it was your first episode yep. of the new year where you uh, yep. took uh, a bunch of different kind of snippets from, from those interviews. And that Home Depot interview. Yeah, was Arthur, just, Arthur like, Blank. Yeah, he's awesome. I've heard him on other podcasts, yeah, but that great. was a great uh, story that he told. All right, uh, so we are got a couple more comments here. Another one from Kurt: Legal is organizational, more ethical is cultural. 
And then uh, we have a few more uh, questions. We'll get to the questions in just a minute. And so one of the things when we think about kind of the future, right, your book's called The Future Leader. And one of the things we want to talk about is three to five years from now, or you talked about 2030, actually, in terms of like mm -hmm. the millennial generation and what's going to happen in 2030 when they become the leaders. Are they going to have all the skills that they need? And is there anything that's going to be different uh, then? I mean, this is like the crystal ball and, and who knows, but kind of curious on your opinion on that. Yeah. So even though my book was, is called The Future Leader and I was aimed to look at, the, you know, 2030 or so, COVID, Black Lives Matter, I mean, a lot of the stuff that happened in, in current events really made the timeline for this shrink. And so really the future leader is very much the present leader. And from all these CEO interviews that I did, I asked all of them, is, are there certain mindsets or skills that you think are going to be crucial for leaders of, uh, of the future of today? And collectively, there was a list of uh, nine, and I call these notable nine, and there were four mindsets and five skills. And it's not so much that these skills are things that people have never heard of, but it is this specific collection of nine that come together. And it's specifically the fact that we're doing a terrible job of practicing these things now. So, I mean, I won't go through, through all of them. There's, you know, 320 pages written about this. But these include things like, I'll give you like two mindsets and two skills, for example. So a mindset for leaders is something like the mindset of the chef, which is basically balancing two ingredients inside your company, humanity and technology. Another mindset that I love is the mindset of the servant, uh, meaning that you understand that you serve your customers, you serve your leaders if you have them, you serve your team, and you also have to serve yourself, meaning look after yourself, practicing self-care. Two skills, for example, that, um, that I love. One is the skill of the futurist, which is really about being able to think in terms of scenarios and possibilities. And another skill is the skill of the coach, which is helping make other people more successful than you. So these aren't things that people are like, oh my God, I've never heard of coaching or I've, I've never heard of emotional intelligence. You know, we, we've heard of these things, right. but it is specifically this collection of nine things that come together, which I think is so crucial the other aspect of this that I found fascinating is I mentioned I surveyed 14,000 employees and we asked these employees, how well are your mid and senior level executives practicing these mindsets and skills? Leaders, mid and senior level, said that they're doing a fairly decent job. You know, not amazing, but pretty good. The people who work for these leaders said, oh, our leaders are doing a terrible job. So and we're talking like a 30% gap. Right. So there is a huge gap between how well leaders think they're practicing these mindsets and skills versus how well the people who actually work for these leaders say they're practicing these mindsets and skills. And this really goes back to this idea of the ivory tower. Um, you know, the more senior you are, the more disconnected you get from your company. And I think that this was, for me, one of the most fascinating things that, uh, that came out from the book. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the mindsets that I love was uh, the curiosity one. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. That really uh, spoke Thank to you. me quite a bit, uh, especially from innovation, from just pure work ethic. Uh, I think that was something that really that I responded to. All right. So we're coming I love up. That one as uh, well. Yeah. So, I mean, the book is available on Amazon. Uh, if you guys haven't checked it out uh, or your favorite bookstore, I was reading the Kindle version. I know there's an audio version as well. Yes. And I, uh, I read the audio version. So if anybody <laughs> gets the audio version, you'll hear, you'll hear my lovely voice for God knows how many hours that was. 
yeah, we'll have another podcast just about how that whole experience was on publishing the book. That uh, must have been interesting. All right, so we've got some questions coming in. Uh, so now is the time for questions. Uh, but and so make sure that you start commenting right now. Get your questions in for Jacob and anybody else. This is uh, your time to become a better leader and to help those within your organization become a better leader. And just to kind of end uh, on this before we get to questions. If there was one thing that the audience could start doing to become a better leader, what would it be? So it would be to ask, what can you do to improve by 1% a day? Uh, this is one of the things that I talked about in the book, and it was the challenge that I gave to people who are reading it. And it's to say, you know, if you can improve by 1% a day, then by the end of the year, you're going to be 37 times better. So yeah. what is the thing that you can do to improve just a little bit each day? All right, there it is. That is the quote of the day. 1% better. That's manageable, right? I and mean, that's, yeah. I would assume <laughs> we all can, we all can try and do it. Uh, if we don't try, we, we don't get there. All right. So let's bring in some questions here. This is one from Neil. How do you reconcile that thought that leaders should make it known what they stand for with cancel culture? So I'm trying to figure out how to answer this one exactly. So is, is the question like, how does that fit in with cancel culture? And does everybody know what cancel culture is? Let's define it real quick, what cancel culture is. You want to define uh, it? <laughs> Actually, I, I personally don't know what cancel culture is. So, uh, so it's been, um, and you know, maybe even people in the, uh, in the chat will have different definitions. As far as I understand it, it's been this idea of like people who, you know, you stop following somebody or people are getting canceled because of things that they've done or because of things that they've said, like gotcha. you stop giving to them. And this is, you know, this has been seen a lot, I think, in a lot of pop culture and a lot of mainstream media, I think for a lot of celebrities and people who are who are pretty popular out there. And there's a lot of, you know, I, I think it's typically a more negative connotation. Yeah, okay. And, I what about. Yeah, and there is, you know, it's kind of hard to say. I think it really depends on, on the person. It, it's tough. I mean, obviously, you still need to have a, a level of self-awareness and you still need to have a level of yeah. emotional intelligence where you're not just saying dumb stuff. <laughs> you know, because I mean, that's certainly a part of it. I mean, if you're a leader of a company or if you're a leader of a team, I, I do think it's okay to stand up for what you believe in and let people know what you want to fight for, but, but be smart about it. I mean, you know, yeah. don't, you know, don't go out there and, and, and say something stupid where a lot of people are going to be like, eh, you know, I don't know about this person. I'm not going to be following them anymore. So I think you need to balance this idea of being a leader with what you want to fight for, what you believe in, what you stand for, but also having that level of emotional intelligence where you just go, don't go out there and say dumb stuff. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what, what I'll say on that. Hire a PR firm, uh, help yourself out. <laughs> yeah. But you know, also, you know, there's also something to be said for like censoring yourself. Like I'm not a big fan of, you know, having something so filtered and censored that it doesn't even sound yeah. like it's your voice, but yeah, you know, course. being yeah. a boat, like be smart about it. All right, this is one from Chris Curtin. I used to work with him at Visa. What do you think of the future leadership given the likely changes to the future of the workplace? Will leaders expect employees to come back to a physical workplace or will they assume some blend between a workplace and remote working? So I think the answer is in the question. So I don't think that physical offices are going to disappear. I don't think everybody in the world is going to be working remotely forever. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case at all. In fact, everybody that I talk to and a lot of the leaders of organizations that I talk to are very, very excited to get back to in-person working uh, and they're not getting rid of their office. I think what we're going to see more of 
is this kind of a blended work environment where maybe you don't need to be in the office every day. Maybe you don't need to be there from nine to five. Maybe the the office will change so that there's going to be more hot desking instead of assigned seats. But, you know, the offices will be there. It's just how we use them will be different. And we're going to have a much more dynamic workplace, a much more mobile workplace, so to speak. But I don't think it means that offices will disappear and everyone's just going to be working from home or a coffee shop forever uh, because we still need to remember that a lot of business, a lot of relationships is done through in-person, psychological safety, empathy. I mean, a lot of the crucial aspects of work happen in person. It just means that we don't need to have that in-person 24-7, right? Nine to five, five days a week. So maybe I go into the office once or twice uh, a week instead of five. So more dynamic, I think for sure, uh, but I don't think offices are going to disappear. Okay. All right. Thanks for that question, Chris. Appreciate that. Here's the next one from Kurt. 2020 was the year empathy rose in leadership importance. Will that remain and can it be taught or fostered? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so empathy is the idea or the concept of uh, putting yourself into somebody else's shoes and understanding their perspective. And of yeah. course, 2020 has been a crucial year for that. And I think this is going to be even more important going forward. And yeah, I mean, like anything in the book that I talk about, you can teach empathy. Um, you teach empathy by putting people in somebody else's shoes. So one of the things that, for example, Amazon does is as a leader in a, in a, in a company, you're forced to work in customer service for a while. You have to be on the yeah. phones. You have to be interacting with customers. That builds empathy because you know what it's like. You know the frustration from the customer's point of view. So absolutely, you can teach empathy. You can teach coaching. You can teach any of these things. Leadership, I think, is definitely a learnable skill. It's something we can all get better at over time. Jeff Frick here saying, look at Antonio Neri's HPE Discover Keynote. It's another good resource. Thanks, Jeff. And we'll go for the last question of the day from Peter works in our sales team here. Do these mindsets and skills necessarily need to reside in or be demonstrated by a single leader or is it more of a collection? So maybe this plays into the culture conversation, but love to get your take on that. I think both. So first, if those around you are not practicing this, it doesn't mean that you can practice this. I've always thought that was kind of a cop-out response where somebody says, you know, I really want to practice empathy, but nobody around me wants, you know, my other executives don't want me to practice empathy. Well, guess what? You don't need anybody else's permission to practice empathy or to be self-aware. So don't use other people as an excuse for why you can't be a better leader yourself. And if you find that over time, it's not a good fit, guess what? Get out of the company and go to another one that's going to appreciate these skills and mindsets. You know, that's kind of, yeah, I guess more of a little tough love approach, but yeah, that's true. You as an individual leader, I think, need to practice these skills and mindsets. And I think the ideal scenario, of course, is where you have all the leaders inside the company practicing these mindsets and skills and also teaching other people these mindsets and skills. The reason why the cover of the book is a lighthouse, because it's a metaphor for as a leader, you want to build yourself up to become a lighthouse. But you need to remember that without ships in the water, a lighthouse is useless. You have to remember to guide others. You can't just be this big, amazing, wonderful lighthouse without having anybody in the water to guide. So remember, don't just teach these things to yourself, but you have to guide others as well. All right. Thanks, everyone, for all the questions. We're going to kind of close up shop here and do some final closing comments. Uh, if you have any closing comments, go ahead, and then we'll give Jacob. Yeah, nothing for me. I just wanted to thank you, Jacob. I think it's been an enlightening conversation, such a timely conversation as people think about 2021 and feel a new hope for a new year. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me.
Yeah, Jacob, it's been a real pleasure and uh, I appreciate you taking the time and opportunity to do this. Definitely, we want to give you the airwaves and let people know how to contact you for more information, how to get your book, uh, listen to your future work podcast and any other business ventures that you're working on because I know you got a, a new one that's just started with your wife. So if you yeah. uh, have you know one, two minutes, go ahead and uh, let people know how to contact you and we'll put all the links within the show notes. So no worries about writing, down, uh, okay. uh, writing, down, writing it down. Uh, but we'll uh, make sure that's all in the show notes. I put one in the chat for people who are interested. And it's basically, if you want to get a PDF of what these mindsets and skills are and get quotes from the CEOs, you can go to theleadershipdigest.com. My website is super easy for people who want to get in touch with me or send me an email. It's thefutureorganization.com. And the email is jacob at thefutureorganization.com. And the last one, of course, I started a new podcast with my wife. This is all about entrepreneurship. So anybody who wants to be an entrepreneur, is an entrepreneur, is thinking about entrepreneurship, you can go to uh, byobpodcast.com. And the book, as you mentioned, is available wherever books are sold. You can see it on my website, Amazon, you know, wherever you want to get it, it's, it's out there. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks again. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, this has been an awesome conversation uh, with Jacob Morgan, uh, author of The Future Leader and we can't thank you enough. And for anybody else that wants to, there you go. There's the URL for BYD podcast. Uh, VJ is saying this was brilliant. Thank you so much. Another LinkedIn user, thank you so much for this insightful podcast. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. That is the end of the show. We always appreciate you tuning in. This is another episode of The Conversations That Matter, a podcast for contact center professionals from Unifor. Thanks again, and have a wonderful day. You have been listening to the Conversations That Matter podcast by Unifor. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player and rate and review to enable us to create relevant and valuable content for your business. If you'd like to learn more about conversational service automation, visit unifor.com. Have a great day.